So you've heard of Kelly Blue Book, but what if there was such a thing as Kelly Body Book? What if you could appraise how good your physicality was? So I got thinking about this, right? Well, I'm a 95 Webb Jared. So I'm only 25 years old this year. Not that bad. Pretty average stats, 5'7", 10 and a half shoe size. But then we have to start factoring in the things that people don't like very much about themselves. So I've got a knee that pops out of its socket a lot. My left ear is already starting to lose its hearing. My left eye is lazy. Not many people know that. And two, my eyesight's going downhill altogether. And to top it all off... I have asthma. <laughs> but I've never had a cavity. So ha! But things aren't looking that good. We all have our own physical frustrations, things that maybe we would want to change about our bodies, right? But I want to ask the question does the body matter? I'm not talking about the body of the church. I'm talking about our physical bodies. Do they matter? I mean, they're just going into the ground anyway, aren't they? So I might as well wear this thing out. It's a question that I think we can answer from the Garden of Eden. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground, but a stream would rise up from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. This is the word of the Lord. So does this bag of dust, or dirt bag, rather, (laughs) matter? Does this thing that gets sick at the busiest time in my life matter? Does this thing that has to go to the bathroom at the most inconvenient times matter? Does it matter? See, we've grown up thinking about this whole division between body and soul. The body is the thing that walks around in the field world. It feels pain. Free world. It feels pain. My soul is the thing that God is concerned with saving. My body is the thing that I need to groom. I actually need a haircut. Um, And my soul is a thing that needs to ask forgiveness of sins. Body and soul. It seems like the soul is a lot more important, isn't it? Especially when we go to chapter 3 of Genesis, just after what we've read, and after Adam and Eve have sinned, God says to them, by the sweat of your face, you will eat bread from the ground. Until you return to the ground, because you are dust, and to dust you will return. And to me, it sounds like God's saying, your body is as worthless as that stuff you've forgotten to clean off your TV stand for the past three months. Dust. It's 
not worth that much, right? But yet, when we turn the pages in the book of Psalms and get to Psalm 63, David proclaims, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Wait for it. My flesh faints for you. And I don't know about you, but fainting seems a lot worse than thirsting. So the flesh seems to be more moved by God than the soul, and therefore more important in this situation. But if we turn backwards in the book of Psalms, we get to Psalm 42, where the psalmist says, As the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. No talk of the body here. Hmm. But if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, God creates the physical world, and after having created it, he calls it what? Good. And that would be okay until you realize that the word good in Hebrew is tov, and that's the same word that the psalmist uses to describe God. So now my body is good like God is good. What is it? Is the body or is the soul more important? Let's go to the New Testament. We get to the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, For while physical training is of some value, godliness is valuable in every way, holding promise for the present life and the life to come. So, my body has a little bit of value, but it's not as much as my spiritual life. So, goodbye P90X, and hello Bible reading plan. Right? And two, Jesus says, our own Lord, cut off your hand, gouge out your eye if it causes you to sin. And even though he's exaggerating, he's making it sound like the physical isn't as important in length of eternity. Isn't he? But then... Paul throws us a curveball and says, you're judged for deeds done in the body. So now the body's important again. Seems like it has eternal value. But then in the same chapter, Paul says, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And in the chapter before that, he says, though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And to top it off, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. So if you're going to ask me, based on what we just looked at, it sounds like Paul's a soul man. Right? Sounds like it's solved. But what do we do with the incarnation? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why would God put on a body if it didn't matter? And two, what do we do with the physical healings in the New Testament? 
if seeing didn't matter, if hearing didn't matter, if walking didn't matter, if health didn't matter, if death didn't matter, why is Jesus walking around in the Gospels fixing these issues? If the body didn't matter, Jesus, why did you come in one? If the body didn't matter, Jesus, why did you heal it? If the body didn't matter, Jesus, why did you rise again in one? If the body didn't matter, Jesus, why did the angel say after you left you would return in the same way you came, in a body? If the body didn't matter, Jesus, why are you in heaven right now with a beating heart like mine, interceding on our behalf? If the body didn't matter, Jesus, why did you say a day is coming when everyone will rise up out of their graves? If the body didn't matter, Jesus, why did you make it seem like it did? Because it does. Because it does. The Son of Man became flesh became in a body. Because that's what we are. We're physical beings. Now let me explain, okay? So let's turn back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. If you want to throw that back up on the screen, that'd be great. Thank you. Here again. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. That phrase living being is the Hebrew word nefesh, which gets translated elsewhere as soul. But what I want you to catch here is that there is no concept of the living being, no concept of a soul, until after God made a body and then breathed life into it. There is no concept of a person until after God breathed life into a body. Because that is the way He intended us to be, in a body. Body and soul means human being. One without the other is less than human. God never gives us any hint in in the Scriptures that He wants us to live in any other way. Because otherwise, why would death be such a horrible thing to happen to Adam and Eve if the body didn't matter? Why would Jesus remain in flesh right now and come back in flesh if the body didn't matter. Because He didn't come just to save our souls. He came to save the whole human being, body and soul. Amen? And so, what sort of hope does this give us? For me, I think we can cling to the fact that one day the King of Kings is going to come back and touch all of our bodies and we'll be fully healed and we won't have to deal with all these impediments that we have. I won't have to feel the rattle of asthma in my lungs. My eyesight will be 20-20. Right? Maybe even better. I don't know. We'll see. But we should all cling to that hope. When I'm angry with my bodily state now, I can look to then. But I think that there's something more. 
Because we talk about the stewardship of time, we talk about the stewardship of money, we talk about the stewardship of talents, but why have we forgotten to talk about the stewardship of our bodies? When God looked at all of creation, after He created it, He called it very good. And so I want to ask you this question. Are you treating your body very good? We have to realize and face the fact that our physical state can impair or enhance our spiritual effectiveness. If I want to get the most out of myself for the Lord, then my physical state does matter. But before I go any further, let's talk about something. Because some of us are geoprisms, and some of us are Toyota Corollas. Some of us are Ford Pintos, and some of us are Honda Civics. Some of us are predisposed to end up in the workshop more often than others. And some people never seem to get sick. The people that tick me off the most are the people who can eat all they want and their side airbags never deploy. Okay? That's the reality. We have different bodies. Okay? The Lord will one day pull out the restoration manual from Classic Industries and fix all of our problems. But that's not now. So what do we do in the meantime to make sure we get the most mileage and horsepower out of this life for the Lord? There's one thing that holds true, whether you have a horrible vehicle or a really great one. Regularly scheduled care and maintenance will make a really bad vehicle go further. And it even makes the most reliable vehicle go even further. And some of us might be tempted to use the excuse, well, I never know when a crash is going to happen and I'm going to be totaled, so I just, I'm not going to care about it. But is that really a good reason to not do regularly scheduled maintenance? We have a duty of getting the most mileage and horsepower out of ourselves for the Lord, don't we? God is calling us to take care of ourselves. Exercise, diet, rest, and other bodily care habits are not thought, but proven to give us more energy, to make us less stressed, to help us live longer, to help us be less susceptible to disease, be in a better mood. But I don't, and I don't know about you, but when I'm in a better mood, and I have more energy, and I'm less stressed, I sure can love God and love neighbor a lot more. And when I'm less susceptible to disease and sickness, I have less setbacks. It doesn't mean they won't happen. That hold me back. And when I have enough sleep, I'm not as grumpy the next day. So I don't say something stupid. It's a reality that we face. And so maybe you've never heard a preacher say, God wants to come alongside you in your rest habits, in your eating habits, in your exercise habits, but He does. 
And here's the good news with that. Because this is connected to kingdom effectiveness, we can have faith that God is going to be there when we do them to help us do these things. In the midst of preparing for this sermon, I felt like God said to me, Jared, take care of you so you can take care of my work. Take care of you so you can take care of my work. I don't like to get up early and go for a run. But I know when I do, I'm less irritable and less depressed. You can ask my wife. I have more energy. And two, my asthma is less horrible. I don't like to eat healthy all the time. But I know when I do, I'm in a better place physically. I don't like to admit that I need seven to eight hours of sleep. I would love to be one of the people that didn't need that much. But I know that I need it to function well the next day. Take care of yourself so you can take care of my work. But something clicked for me when I realized that because in this, I can consciously think about the fact that I'm doing it so that I can do the Lord's work better. The very act of taking care of myself is glorifying to God. It is an act of worship. Of course, it could be selfish, right? But if I look at it differently, it can be worship. And so maybe you're the person who wears their lack of sleep like a badge, and rest is a dirty word. God wants to come alongside you and teach you how to rest. Maybe you're the person who says, I'm going to eat whatever I want and I just want to die happy. People say that. Maybe you're the person who just has never adopted healthy eating habits. God wants to come alongside you as you look at them. Maybe you're the person who's never exercised or an injury in the past has kept you back from being more active. God wants to come alongside you and help you become more active. Or maybe you're a smoker. Maybe you're a drinker. Maybe you harm yourself. Maybe it's something else that the Spirit is pressing on you that you knew if you dropped or you adopted, your body would be in a better place to be able to be a servant for Him. What is it? Steward your body so you can be the best disciple you can be. This is my challenge for you. Today, this moment, or at least this week, think of one habit that God wants you to adopt or drop to help you have a better physicality to serve Him. And I promise you, the God that made our bodies and the God who is in the flesh at the present will come alongside you and help you to glorify him through it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the gift of the body. Help us to just know what your spirit is speaking to us in regard of how we can be better physical offerings for you, better physically equipped to be able to carry out your work and help us to feel your presence with us wherever we may go. In your precious and holy and wonderful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for that word, Pastor Jared. Uh, convicting word for sure.
and a helpful word. So uh, you have a, uh, an invitation now to text some questions to that number. Uh, we have some people vetting questions. We won't get to all the questions, but uh, we'll do our best. Um, so let me just throw out a, a, a softball uh, to you, and I think you kind of hinted at this, but did, is it possible to idolize the body? Is it, is it possible for the body to become too important? You're really hitting on uh, the conviction that the body needs to be more important than it is for some of us. We can't just let the body go to pot while our soul gets healthy. But is it possible to, to overemphasize the body? Right. Yeah, I think that's what Paul was trying to point at in that verse from First Timothy chapter 4 that I was pointing to, was that don't get so preoccupied on the body that you forget about your spiritual life. But we never talk about the physical body, and so that's why I'm bringing it up here so we don't forget about it, because we could become so spiritual that we just say, okay, nothing physical matters, you know? Yeah, so a couple questions that came in via text to my phone here. Uh, Is overeating and destroying my physical body pushing me away from God? (laughs) Well, I mean, realistically, we can be addicted to anything, right? We can idolize anything, right? And so, unfortunately, I think, like, somehow... Food gets sweeped under the rug in America because we're eaters, right? You have anything to add? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know a bit of my story about coming out of addiction. So there was a time when in, in my fear or anxiety, I ran to the bottle, and then I became a Christian. And so the bottle wasn't appropriate anymore for me. So what I could do, though, was overeat. So I tended to, in my early days, and I wouldn't even say just my early days, even as a pastor, when I was stressed out, um, instead of running to God, I would run to food. Mm-hmm. And so I'd order a large, after a board meeting, I'd order a large cheese pizza and watch an Arnold Schwarzenegger shoot 'em up movie. And I, of course, was the good guy and the board was the bad guy. And I, I'd eat almost a whole pizza. I mean, this is, I gained 20 pounds, I remember, uh, uh, in one year as a pastor. So I tended to run to food instead of God. And yeah. that's when food becomes an idol. Right. Yeah. Similar journey for me, too. Yeah. Another question. Uh, What do I do if I am already too far gone with my health? Yeah, I wanted to try to emphasize this more in the sermon, so I think I failed in that a little bit, but it's a good thing we get to talk about it here. Like, every situation is different. I don't think that the Lord wants us all to look like Achilles, Okay, um, the question is more like, am I doing my best with my present state? Not like, okay, I can't get to the same level everyone else is, but I can take care of me and where I'm at to the best of my ability. So, is it possible to be spiritually fit and physically unfit? it's a similar question yeah it's like uh, I don't know because it, it assumes the dichotomy already that we can separate the two and so I, I think I think it's a hard thing to grasp but I think because Christ has redeemed the whole person we should try to look them alongside each other but if the question is like okay well because I'm overweight that means I can't be a prayer warrior no 
So I, I don't know. Do you want to? Yeah, sorry. I think we I think we assume that uh, the spiritual affects the physical, right. right? So we think about that often. If I'm spiritually healthy, uh, I'll be physically healthy. Or if I'm spiritually unhealthy, I'll be physically right. unhealthy. But I think we, we we don't often think about how what we do with the body triggers uh, some good stuff or bad stuff in the soul, right? right? Yeah, so yeah. I think you hinted at this in mm-hmm. your sermon. Like when I'm when I'm working out three times a week, I run. I'm a runner, and uh, when I'm de- you know when I'm uh, getting rid of the toxins in my body physically, sweating it out, I love people more. Mm-hmm. I love God more yep. when I eat right. It's, and and when I don't eat right or when I let go of my exercise patterns, uh, I get depressed real quick, and I, I'm a lot more impatient with people. Mm-hmm. And so yep. uh, the, you cannot dichotomize the soul, the body, you know, the emotions. They're, they all sort of impact each other. We're holistic yeah. beings, and what happens in one area of our lives impacts every other area yeah. of our lives. If anything, I would say if the physical would improve, it would only improve the spiritual just because... I'm so glad you told. I'm not getting any more questions, so I don't know if any more are coming in. But let me. I'll throw out some. Okay. So you, you mentioned sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say more about that. Like, what is it sinful not to get sleep? I don't know. I tarry around that. The question, you know, if God has been like putting you in a position where it causes you to get less sleep, that's one thing. But if I know that getting more sleep will make me less grumpy and less likely for me to say something unloving to God or neighbor, and I had the opportunity, then maybe that's more of a question of self-preparation against sin. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I think just like we get that old slogan, milk it does a body good, sleep it right. does a body good. Now, sleep can become an idol. If you're napping four times a day, yeah. that's, that's probably not good. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, uh, some of the pastors have heard me talk about building a shed, building a shed for your soul, S-H-E-D, build a shed. Like if you don't put a wheelbarrow in the shed, it's going to rust, and, and the soul needs a shed too, S-H-E-D, sleep, H is hobbies, E is exercise, D is diet. And so if you can, if you can build a healthy shed for your soul, uh, you'll, be, you'll be better off for sure. And again, it impacts each other. Let's talk about diet. What are some? Uh, we're not dietitians, right? No, uh, I'm not. But but what are what are some good healthy patterns of eating? I don't think it has to be complicated. Like there's only one Wesleyan sanctified diet, um, and it's keto or something like that. No, I, I think maybe there's some simple precautions we can take. It's like okay, I'm only going to eat what I need rather than overindulge in something. That doesn't mean you can't enjoy things. Um, do you have any more recommendations? Yeah, I have uh, I have five rules for diet that I that I don't live by, but you ought to. And, so, uh, and again, I'm not a dietitian, so this might kill you. I don't know, but here's 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 what I recommend. So, uh, five rules for diet: uh, eat a healthy breakfast by seven or eight a.m. Some of you don't eat breakfast. I don't like breakfast, but it gets my metabolism going and it gets my brain fueled. So, eat a healthy breakfast before eight a.m. Let's say. Second rule, don't eat anything after 8 p.m. That's a hard one. (laughs) Third rule, make water your staple drink between meals. And coffee has water in it. Four, uh, have a vegetable a day. Five, have a fruit a day. I mean, if if you do that over the long haul, then as Jared was talking about, Pastor Jared was talking about, you'll be able to stand up 
when you're 70 or 80, uh, barring anything sort of major in terms of illness, and you'll be able to serve God. I met a guy at a, at a Christian camp I spoke at in Maryland years ago uh, in his 80s. And he said, uh, I'm going to Honduras because I feel like God's calling me to the mission field. I said, have you been there? He said, no. <laughs> I said, you know Spanish? He said, no. <laughs> but he could say yes to go and serve God in Honduras in his 80s because he built a shed. He took care of his body in his 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. And I want us to be able to do that too. There was a question about um, dressing our bodies. I don't know if we want to go there. Uh, About modesty. It doesn't quite apply, but we can talk about it. I'll put that on you. Oh, wow. It's zipping into your sermon more at the end of the month. We are going to talk about sexuality Yeah, uh, the last Sunday of the month. I can't wait for that one. It's going to be fun. Um, let's talk about modesty. Let's talk about yeah. dressing in ways that are appropriate. I think it starts with just realizing that my body, even though it is me, is still a creation of God and honoring it in, in that way. And so not dressing it in a way that makes it seem like it's not something to be honored, right? So... Um, I think that's a simple way to say it. Now, mm. now you add. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> okay. Pass. <laughs> All right. I was going. I have enough tough, tough topics. Next week it's equality, <laughs> gender, and race, and then ecology, which won't be too hard, and then sexuality. So I already have the hard one. I'm not. Uh, I'm not addressing that one. Okay. All right. All right. One more question. Still not getting questions, but that's okay. Is there a pressing, pressing question from the congregation you want to throw out? We'll make this our last one. Oh, oh, is it coming? Oh, it's coming. Up from above. <laughs> you guys remind me of the two guys in the Muppets that were always in the balcony heckling people. <laughs> oh man. No, I did. Our tattoo is a sin. Oh, man. My quick knee-jerk answer, okay? Uh, You will find tattoos marking of the body uh, condemned in Scripture in the Old Testament. Let me add a caveat to that, though, uh, that markings of the body back in the Old Testament were considered pagan practices, okay? Other religions did that. And so for, for somebody who worshiped Yahweh, the old, you know, God of the Old Testament, uh, the Lord, uh, by marking their body, it was too connected to, uh, again, pagan practices. All that to say, can you have a tattoo on your body that glorifies God? Is that possible? I, I'd say so. Well, you know, that's why I tell my kids, you know, when they talk about tattoos, I'm like, you don't make a mark on your body that you're going to regret later. I know a lot of people who've marked their bodies and they regret it now. And, yeah. Yeah, if you go for a job interview and you got, you've got like a cross on your forehead, I mean, yeah, it's a religious symbol, but it's probably not going to get you the job. So you want to be, you want to be smart about that. But, um, yeah, that's, that's my, that's my quick answer. Let's, um, Let's have the worship team coming up. We're going to stand and sing uh, with all our hearts to God and then um, be on our way.